Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 743 for September 17th, 2022. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth in the tidbit form. Yes, yes, indeedy, for our sixth go at this tidbit idea of mine. Yeah, so explain to the audience again what a tidbit is. It's like a bonus. It's something related to but not a full-on tutorial, not a step-by-step. It really could be anything as long as it's related to. And in this case, it's me taking what we have learned in the last three installments and trying to apply it in a real-world situation and seeing how it goes. So this is going to so, be about Webpack, but not theoretical with a, a little fake example? Exactly. So okay. my theory has always been, right, we never do anything exhaustively. We don't do everything about jQuery or everything about Bootstrap, but we do enough to get a flavor for it and enough, I hope, to be able to read the docs to find the subset that you want above and beyond the common, right? Because like 80% of the time you use 20% of any product and the extra 20% you need is different to the extra 20% I need. So we could never cover it all in programming by stealth. Right. As long as we have the skills to find our 20%, mission accomplished. So I was curious how I would get on with a very real-world test of our Webpack knowledge. So I took, uh, I want to do a little bit of tweaking on it anyway. And if, So basically, I want to start, I want to get the clipboard stuff and a few other little bits and pieces onto this-time.me. And I was, I checked the code out from Git and I was like, I'm not putting work into something that isn't in Webpack. Oh, this thing is full of out-of-date dependencies. If I'm going to do any work on this code, now is the time to bring it into Webpack. And as soon as I thought about that, I was like, yeah, this is actually a really interesting test case. I'm pretty sure when I do this, I'm going to discover stuff that's worth talking about with Alison. <laughs> so uh, and so along the way. I did, and I actually named it PBS or tidbit6-maybe.md was the name of the file, because <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to find. I genuinely had no oh, idea right, what right. was going to happen. You needed a place to write it down. Real quick, yeah. uh, reminding people who might not know, this-tie.me is Bart's uh, website that he built as part of Programming by Stealth to scratch his own itch of showing people what time he wanted them to show up at a, a, across time zones. So you go yeah. to this, uh, you go to this link, and uh, it'll show you, or if he sends you the link, it'll show you in your own time zone what time he meant. But he only yes. has so to I, see it in his own time zone. Correct. So the the sharer basically goes in and picks a time, and it will pick up their time zone from their browser, or they can change it, and that will generate a link that you then send to everyone who you want to tell about your meeting or your podcast recording or whatever it is you want to do. And when they open it, they will see two clocks. They will see the time of the person who created the shared time so that you could see, oh yeah, 10 o'clock Bart's time, okay. And your time in your local time zone right out of your browser. And you built and that, that way, all with the, the tools that we had learned at the time with Bootstrap yes. and making little forms and uh, learning how to use moment.js. And... Exactly. It was, it was literally the last thing we did before we went into Git mode and stuff. It was basically the proof that we had learned enough about client-side web development to do something useful. Right. Proved right. by doing something useful. Right. Okay. So that is uh, dependencies uh, and you wanted to clean it. And so you think 
that it will be easier to work on and maintain in Webpack than it would be to try to keep fixing it in its current form. Yeah, so it was full of links to CDNs, which is how we were doing things back then. Right. And there's a lot of them. Uh, I, I guess I could have counted them in my um, package.json file, but it, it the scroll, you know, it, it's a big list in that dictionary. Hmm. Um, okay. The dependencies list is big. So it just it just felt wrong to have to manually go and find the new CDN links, whereas otherwise they just go npm outdated, have a look at what needs updating, npm update, npm run build. It's just so much easier than faffing about trying to find updated links and stuff. So, and I just, I actually kind of wanted to cement my own knowledge because, you know, like you, I need to do stuff before I'm happy that I know it. And with most of PBS, it's stuff I know like the back of my hand. But that wasn't true at Webpack. I was learning it for the first time. I was oh, basically right. five minutes ahead of the class. <laughs> which is just enough to get away with. You're just lucky there's only one of us in the class and no no smart aleck had read ahead and asked you hard questions, right? Well, I, I have no problem saying I don't know. I got over, I used to have this terrible thing about not wanting to admit I didn't know something, and then I realized that's stupid. None of yeah. us know everything. The only people that bother me are the people who pretend they know when they don't. I would much rather you just go, no idea. Or yeah, no, but say, I'll go find out. Yeah, that, well, that to be honest, that's usually the answer I, I like to give. Uh, no, but give me half an hour or whatever. Um, no, I, I find you get a lot more respect from people in a professional capacity if you are perfectly happy to admit, to be clear about the boundaries of your knowledge. Because yeah. when you then say something with confidence, they will believe you because you have earned that confidence by being honest about what you don't know. Makes life much easier. Okay. So yeah, I figured let's start with that code and turn it into... A web-packed app. So really, it's a it's a case of refactoring, right? Zero new functionality, the same app delivered in a different way. That is the, the whole point. So the code as it stood, and in fact, the full history of the code is in GitHub, and it's a public repo, so the link is in the show notes. So you can scroll back in time and see how it was before I started mucking about with it, or and you can see the finished product where it's all nice and web-packified. Um, the full history, all of my typos, all of my silliness, it's all there, all on public display. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So how long did it take you to do this? Would you say in elapsed hours? In elapsed hours, it was basically about eight half hours. Really? Only like a total of four hours? Yeah, and there was a lot of learning there. Um, wow, there okay. Were, there, yeah, and that also I've done a, lot, I've done a little bit of polishing. Um, I, I had it working in about three half hours, and then I had it nice in about eight half hours. Wow. Huh. So I'm, I'm really I'm quite pleased, actually, with where we ended up, and it, it helped me cement my knowledge. So before I started... I had a single, all the code, everything was in one index.html. It was all one monolithic file. My CSS, my JavaScript, my mustache templates, and links to all those CDNs. All of it was in one single file. The entire no, web app was one That's interesting because that's not how you taught us to do it. No, but it is the easiest way to publish it for free on GitHub when you don't yet have Webpack to build it for you. Hmm. There is there is a certain ease of use of having a single index at HTML and just giving it to people and saying, here you go, that's it. That's everything. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. But yeah, it's, it, and it was also, yeah, that was that was how I did it. I was kind of surprised at myself. I was like, okay, this, this scroll bar is very small. Why is my scroll bar <laughs> so small? Oh yeah, look at that. And so then so, when you circle around and you're done, the same thing is still going to be true, right? Well, no, actually, because the SRC folder 
is going to actually contain quite a few breakdowns. I broke it down quite a lot for my own sanity. That's the other nice thing. It'll be much easier to maintain because it's not a monolith. Okay. I thought when it was all publishing it, it was all embedded into one thing. No, I decided not to because... So, this is actually... Okay, this is now... No, no, you're jumping ahead, but it's fine because it's actually a really sensible question. So, the first time we met, we've met Webpack twice to solve two distinct problems. The first time we met, we met Webpack, we were trying to replicate what the authors of GitHub or Moment.js want to do. So they have written a piece of reusable code that is intended to be reused by other developers as part of their app. In other words, it's a library is an, you know, an easy descriptor for it. Right. So they want everything in jQuery to be collapsed into one.js file or everything in Moment.js to be collapsed into one JS file. But they probably don't maintain it that way. It's very unlikely they would maintain it that way. But they use a bundler. I don't know if they use Webpack. They probably do. Seems half the world does. But they use a bundler to spit out that one final file. So the first time we met Webpack was to duplicate that functionality because that's what we're going to need for XKPassWD. That is going to be a library that people are supposed to reuse. Therefore, it will be a single .js file. Okay. But the second time we met Webpack, it was from the point of view of taking a website or a web app and using it, using Webpack to manage our dependencies. So this is not code for sharing. This is code for us to live with. Right, right. Okay. So that's, as I was asking the question, I was going, well, wait a minute, though. The last time we played with it, we did end up with a bunch of files, but I thought he said we had one file, but that's because we solved two different problems with the same tool. Okay. Correct, exactly. And so in this case, the problem to be solved is that second problem. I want an app that works really well and is easy for me to maintain. So Webpack is there not for the benefit of others to use my code, but the benefit of me to maintain my code. So a giant big monolith actually would have a really big drawback for a web app, right? So for a library, that's not a drawback. You want one file. I want to use jQuery, pull in jQuery. But for a web app, if I put everything into a monolith, then, in fact, I did. That's how I did it first. It was 4.5 megs. Ooh, it was one JavaScript file that was 4.5 megs. It's ridiculous, right? Because it's not just text, because I had web, form, web fonts and things inlined. Oh, okay. Okay. So what that means is, if I include that in my head, nothing renders on screen until all four megs have been loaded from the internet and sucked into RAM. Now, on a fast internet, that's instant. But we don't all live there. Yeah. So you would see a blank page with nothing, not a single pixel, until all four of those megs had been loaded and processed, and then the page would render. Right, right. That's not good. So one of the things I ended up doing, I spent most of my time on, is breaking that apart. So I'm still using Webpack to manage everything for me, so keeping stuff up to date is still NPM update, whatever. But when I do an NPM run build, it does not spit out one file. There's no monolith. Okay. Okay. But it's still easy to manage. So we will see that as we go. But yeah, it was actually a big part of figuring it out. How do I break this up to get a good balance between it starts to load quickly and it's still all nice and packed up and stuff. So we'll revisit that actually because, actually, no, let's do it now. So do you remember before Webpack? If you cast your mind back to about episode 96. Right. It's a long time ago now. But at that point, we were loading CSS in the head tag, and we were loading our JavaScript at the bottom of the body. Yes. 
So why were we doing that? And I'm, this is this is somewhat a rhetorical question because it was so long ago. I basically wrote the show notes as if I'd never said it before because it's been so long. So there are three ways you could approach where you put the dependencies, right? I could stick everything in the head and then you'd have a white page until it's all loaded and then everything will render at once. And when it renders, it will have all of its styles and all of its JavaScript. The whole page will be instantly ready to go. Everything will just work. The moment you see anything, you see everything. Well, on a slow internet connection, that makes it look like your site is broken. So who who will still be there when everything suddenly works instantly? <laughs> it works instantly when you can see it. Yeah. The other way to go is the other extreme. You put everything at the bottom of the body. So the HTML immediately starts to load, but there are no styles yet. So it's mm-hmm. default HTML with a serif font and all black and white. And then as the CSS comes in, everything jumps around and rearranges itself and changes colors in front of your eyes. And that's horrible. sites do that. Now I understand what's happening. Yeah, where it's like like a form or something and you've got a bunch of boxes and they're all shoved over to the left and it's in a weird font and then all of a sudden it becomes, looks correct. Yeah, that's the CSS loading too late. Interesting. So there's a halfway house that is considered best practice. CSS in the head then your HTML, then your JavaScript at the bottom of the body. So it looks right when you get it, but it's not functional until it's done. But it gives you, as a human, a second or two to look around and think about what you want to do to interact with it. And also, everything as it renders is going to stay the way it is. It's not going to jump around. If it comes in blue, it'll stay blue. If it comes, you know. But a button that has suddenly got new functionality from JavaScript, you don't know that it didn't because it doesn't visually change. Correct. Well, okay. I tend to have my stuff load uh, disabled and then enable itself with JavaScript so that people don't, so people can see I can't click this button. And then the button will activate when the code is finished loading. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's, it's optional because generally speaking, the human is way slower than the browser. So right. the human is reading and doing all sorts of other stuff. And by the time the human gets around to clicking buttons, it's all loaded. It's all fine. So by putting the CSS at the top, it means that it doesn't do the jumping around and you get a relatively quick something happened, right? I've gone to this URL, there is progress. And then you're going to stay around as a human being and wait for it to finish doing its thing. So that's kind of the happy halfway house. Now, there's a bit of debate. Where do you put web fonts or glyph icons? Hmm. There are people who say shove them at the bottom. And I don't like that because particularly with the web font, that means that it loads in a default font and then the font rearranges itself at the end. Right, right. I don't like that. So I definitely put my web fonts at the top. And I use my icons as kind of a very important part of my UI because I tend to avoid images. So I decided I'd shove those up the top too. So that at least as the page loads, the buttons have their icons instead of the icons magically appearing later. But that is debatable. I just made a choice. So that means I definitely need to split up my code, right? Because I want I want to do this. So well, the very it? first thing I but did I before I eat... all, I thought you had it all in that way in your current code. Sure, but it was a monolith, which means it's not web packable. There were, but, there were no JS files. It was all a .html file. So I did. I literally had no entry point. Right, but you had. You had them in the order that we just talked about, right? Sure, sure, yes, okay. correct. So before Webpack, it was in that order. And after Webpack, I needed back in that order. But based on the Webpack we know so far, we didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do that until I started this work. Okay. So I had to learn, how do I break apart 
my monolith. So that is a lot of the work that went into this. But the very first thing I did before I even touched Webpack was to refactor my code so that it had index.html, index.css, and index.js. And the index.css was pulled in on the head, and the index.js was pulled in at the bottom of the body, and the HTML stayed where it was. Okay, okay. And I moved them into the SRC folder. So they were just in the root, and I moved them into SRC. And by then, which meant I had the JavaScript and the, the file. CSS? Every, yeah, so initially there was one file in the whole repo and it was sitting at the root. Mm-hmm. And I made a folder called SRC and then I moved my three files into that folder. All three? So nothing's three. at the root? Nothing's at the root apart from the docs folder and the SRC folder. The docs folder oh. is what's going to be the output from Webpack. Oh, wow. Okay. So then I reconfigured GitHub to treat docs as the root of the website rather oh. than slash. Okay. The slash was configured as the root. Got you, got you. So slash was calling index.html because it was the only thing at root, but now it has to go yeah. into docs first. Okay, all right. Yeah, exactly, because I need to have two folders, right? Because Webpack takes an input folder and an output folder. So right, right. I needed to do that. Uh, and it's just better practice. It just, it just is better practice. So yeah, so that was basically, I did all of that jiggery-pokery. And at that point, that's no Webpack yet, right? That's just jiggery-pokery, housekeeping. Um, so then I installed Webpack. It's actually the very first thing to get Webpack running is to get Node.js running, right? So npm init was the first thing. And I just typed in the standard answers. You know, what would you like to call this? This dash time.me. You skipped what a little license? bit on, on uh, the naming convention that you did when you set this up? Because you wanted um, to make sure you could roll back your changes? Oh, yeah, I, I made a branch. I made a git branch. Of course, I made a git branch. What did I call it? Chore migrate to Webpack. <laughs> I like chore. to use this ember. That makes it sound yeah, horrible. Said, no fun at all. This is a chore. Well, I wasn't sure it was going to be fun. <laughs> okay. It was fun, but I wasn't sure at the time. Okay. Uh, no, so you remember on standard commits, you have this notion of you, you prefix your commit title with, you know, whip colon or chore colon. And I was like, well, I'll use the same for my tags. Or sorry, for my branches. So I called it chore dash migrate to webpack. Yeah, which meant that if it all went terribly, horribly wrong, I would simply never merge that branch into main and pretend it never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Just be a dead end branch and I can cut it off. Right. Um, So at this stage, I have my code in the right place. So I do an npm init, utterly by the book. And then I install Webpack, utterly by the book. I copied and pasted from my own show notes for PBS 138. Just copy paste, right. Uh, and so at that point, I ha- I actually also went and copied and pasted the config for Webpack from PBS 139. I was like, I'm not doing this again. Copy, paste, job done. Uh, but then I did end up tweaking that config. So the final config in the show notes has four changes to what we did in PBS 139. And we'll visit each of those four changes as basically the content of this show. It's Those four changes are really what I want to talk about. And remind me again, what does the config do? So the config, sorry, webpack.config.js tells Webpack how to turn what into what. Okay. So it literally tells it the source folder is your input, the docs folder is your output, and here are all of your rules for what I want you to do. Okay. Okay. So most of it, like I say, I started literally by copying and pasting from PBS 139. I was just like, well, that worked. So let's start there. And then I tweaked as I needed to. So the first big tweak, the the most significant thing was I needed to separate my bundles. I didn't need one bundle. I needed two. 
one of which I was going to include in the head and one of which I was going to include at the bottom of the body. So if you think back to PBS 139, we had script SRC equals bundle.js and we had that shoved into the head, which meant we were loading everything in the head. Right, but you're going to do two bundles, one for the JavaScript and one for the CSS? I am, but they're all going to be .js files because Webpack turns everything into JavaScript. Right. Didn't I so I'm going to have that? one bundle, so I'm going to have a script tag in the head that loads bundle-head.js. Okay. And another script tag at the very, very bottom of the body that loads bundle-body.js. Okay, and bundle and I'm going to build two bundles. is going to be the JavaScript and bundle-head is going to be the, the CSS. The CSS, okay. yes. All right. So I'm going to have two entry points to make two bundles. Hmm. So last time we had one entry point, which was our index.js, to make one bundle, which was our bundle.js. Well, I'm going to have two entry points, and I'm going to turn those into two bundles. So the key to doing that is... To change, so one of the most important, well, okay, the first thing inside your ex, the config exported by your webpack.config.js is entry, right? That's the first diction, there's the first dictionary if you look in the code. And it, previously, entry was a string. We said entry colon src forward slash index.js. That was what we had in PBS 139. Entry was a string. Well, now entry is a dictionary. And in that dictionary, we give the path to the two entry points as the values, and we invent names to use as the keys. Okay. So they could be waffles and pancakes, but I have gone for the very sensible head and body. Okay. But they could be anything. So you again, so now this is entry colon, and then you've got the dictionary head colon and body colon, and head is going to dot slash src slash index dash head dot js, and the other one's going to index-body.js. Okay. Correct. So there are my two files that I can then do my import statements to pull stuff into the bundle. Makes sense. So all the CSS gets imported in head and all the JavaScript gets imported in body. Now, how did you know you could do that? I I read the fine manual. (laughs) I basically typed into, I literally typed into Google webpack split, uh, was it webpack multiple entry points? Okay. And it took me straight to a page on Webpack's documentation that described all the different reasons you would want to and all the different hows. Oh. And they had a nice sample code snippet with a dictionary. And I was like, okay, that I can do. <laughs> so I did. Okay, good. Now, if you have two inputs, you're going to get two outputs. And again, previously, the output was a string. Well, so file name was bundle.js. Basically, it was a simple, so our output dictionary had two keys, path, which was to a folder, docs, and file name, which was to bundle.js. Well, file name is still a string. However, Webpack has the ability for templating. So you can have a value be a template. And in, in Webpack templates, use square brackets for the placeholders. So the name I gave my two entry points can be shoved into the output by putting square bracket name, close square bracket. How does so now, name ever get connected back to head and body? Because by give entry, I make up a name. That That is the name. So bundle dash square bracket name has to be square bracket name. It cannot be square bracket waffles. No. 
on no name is name is the name is the name of the it's a mail merge so name is the equivalent of forename but normally in a mail surname. merge you tell it somewhere else you say head and body are the name but you don't have anything in your in your json file here that says head and body are go into our name entry colon whatever names i give it is what defines what name will be so it has to be name it has to be n a m e Square bracket, yes. Otherwise, it's a okay. different thing. So you okay. could have square bracket hash, and it would be the hash of the entry point that was oh, used in the file name. Okay, so name is sacred. Okay, that's that's what I was. In this case, it is sacred. It, it means the name I gave it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I went for the very sensible naming scheme: bundle dash square bracket name dot js. Okay. So they will come out as bundle dash head and bundle dash body. Okay. Very straightforward. Now, this is another opportunity for the for the second of my four changes. Clean colon true is an amazingly useful thing. It means that every file in the docs folder that is not part of the current build gets deleted. So if you change your mind and stop using a library, it won't be cluttering up your output. Oh, nice. So clean colon true just means you never have to worry about having to clean up after yourself. Webpack will do it for you. I, okay. I, I, so happy when I found that because um, I was going to do it or, um, you know, I was going to have my build command do an ORM minus ORF on body. And then I was like, hang on, maybe there's a better way. It's like, yeah, clean colon true. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'll do that. Um, so with that done, I basically had all of the moving parts for my webpack. I just then had to go and find every single one of my dependencies in NPM which took a fair bit of Googling because I had a lot of dependencies. Because hmm. I had to find what name is it. Uh, so like there were a couple of them were like Font Awesome is done inside of an organization. So it's at Font Awesome slash Font Awesome dash, dash free. So not NPM install Font Awesome. It's NPM install at Font Awesome slash Font Awesome Awesome dash, fa- dash free. Easy for you to say. Yeah. And the reason uh, you had to go, you had to go look them up in NPM because you had the CDNs for them. Yeah, they were all embedded in the CDN. And now I want, now I'm getting, now Webpack takes stuff from the the node underscore modules folder, which you get by doing NPM install whatever, right? That's how we got jQuery. We did NPM install jQuery. Did you teach well, us I need, how I need to, to search NPM? How do you search for uh, I'm Two ways, Google. Or npm space search space whatever you want to search for. Okay, I prefer Google. A lot of places when you go to the homepage of the project, they will show you the usually it's yarn npm and I think Bower is often done as well. There's a couple of different package managers they tend to show you the commands for, and one of them is usually npm, and so you can just copy paste. Uh, another thing then is this website is a little bit old. It's Bootstrap four. NPM's default behavior when you do an NPM install is get me the latest, which in this case would be Bootstrap 5. Now, rewriting this entire web app to Bootstrap 5 is not part of a refactoring. That's a whole big body of work. That's not a refactor. That's a rewrite, effectively, right? That's You're really changing things. Um, and similarly, Font Awesome has gone from 5 to 6. So how do you tell NPM you'd like to go back in time? 
The answer is you put the at symbol followed by as much or as little of the three-dotted semver notation that you care about. So if you want the latest bootstrap 4, you say npm install minus minus save bootstrap at 4. Oh. And then I will get 4 point anything point anything. If you wanted 4.1 point anything, you'd say at 4.1. Or if you wanted to specify all the way, you could say at bootstrap at 4.1.2. That's And I had to do that. I had to do that. And it was was at 2.1 I had to do. Because... I was doing them, I was getting one thing from NPM, adding it to my bundle, either head or body, doing an NPM run build, and then seeing if I broke everything. So I was doing it one dependency at a time. Oh, good. And when I got to Bootstrap, I broke everything. The reason is because Bootstrap has two imports, a CSS in the head and a JavaScript in the body. And I was doing it in order. CSS. Yeah, so I had CSS coming from one, from the from the uh, from npm from npm, and the JavaScript was still coming from the CDN. Oh, so you had you had Bootstrap five in the CSS and and and. Well, uh, no, it was four point six point something oh, and okay. four point one point something because I had some uh, at four. Okay, so you got that like, That's far. smart. Okay. Yeah, and then it just it went really weird. It did not like having a split brain. And eventually I realized, okay, I don't know whether it's that there's a bug in Bootstrap or they've changed a breaking change, even though there shouldn't be breaking changes when you don't have a major version. I just went, what's from the CDN? 421. I'll install 421. And my problem went away. And only later did I realize how I made the problem for myself and why the problem went away. So the last thing I actually ended up doing was just doing an NPM update Bootstrap to pull Bootstrap back to the latest 4.x. And it was perfectly oh. happy when both halves of Bootstrap were the latest four point X. So I can so see that was the learning experience. Doing one at a time and looking at visually looking at your code, your your website to see whether you've borked everything would be easy. But that gets harder when you get down to the JavaScript. If you're pulling in the wrong ah. moment.js or something, that would be harder to you, Did you have tests mm, to run? Not did really. I'll tell you why. Because if the on this particular web app, if the JavaScript doesn't load, all the text boxes are empty because it uses JavaScript to determine your time zone and fill in that text box. Okay. And it defaults the time to the current time using moment.js. So when the JavaScript breaks on this-time.me, you get a form that's completely blank. And when you load the page when it's working, you get a form that's completely populated. So it's really obvious straight away when your JavaScript's in a mess. So and the other thing, on that, any site... Just- that's just with moment.js, though. That's not for... Oh, like, no. Uh, if I did anything wrong. So if you, if you did popper.js incorrectly, the thing that does the little pop-up menus, that would, that would have bored the Well, yeah, the because the code would be trying to reference it, right? When, as soon as it got to the bit that said import no, or jQuery, I think. No, bootstrap uses popper. So as soon as I got to the bit that says import bootstrap, there will be an error in the JavaScript console. Oh, okay. Saying, okay. That's, so what, you weren't popper? in the JavaScript. What okay. are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, it, yeah, in any site, the console will tell you when things have gone wrong. But on my side, I didn't even have to rely on the console. I went to the console to figure out why it was broken. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I could tell that it was broken straight away, which was convenient because I broke it quite a few times. <laughs> so the first thing I discovered was if you have Bootstrap with a split brain, it doesn't work. 
And the second thing I discovered was that there's a slightly different way of doing moment.js's time zone support. So when you're using moment.js from a CDN, you basically use two script tags to get moment.js plus its optional time zone support. So basic mm-hmm. moment.js doesn't have the time zone data and then you do that separately. So we would have always had two script tags. Right. And I thought, oh, okay, that's probably how it's going to work here. And I found an NPM repository called moment.js and, and sorry, moment and another one called moment-timezone. So I thought, oh, that's straightforward. I'll just import one and then import the other. And they fought with each other because actually you only import moment-timezone and that contains both. Oh, oh, interesting. I didn't okay. know that. Now I do. Okay. So it's just npm until minus minus save moment dash time zone. And then you get moment.js with its optional time zones all baked into one. So I'm, I'm guessing they're using a bundler to uh, do that. Um, and then the other thing I ran into is peer dependencies. And that's because we, because I was doing some stuff that's not all that typical. So you have bootstrap, which is a self-contained unit. And that's easy to do in anything really. Uh, But I also use two bootstrap plugins. I use one of them called Tempest Dominus to do the date picker. And I use another one called uh, Bootstrap for Autocomplete to do autocomplete on the time zones. And they are JavaScript libraries that expect to find preloaded waiting for them uh, Bootstrap, uh, jQuery, and Moment.js. Only one of them needs Moment.js, that is Tempest Dominus. The other one just needs Bootstrap. So they're expecting to find these things pre-made. And if you do them through a CDN, you just have to make sure you get the order of your script tags right. Right. You've told us that before, and I've got little notes in my code that go, make sure this one is above this one. So if I'm copying, pasting, i got to make sure I keep them in that order. Yeah. Because otherwise, the first thing Tempest Dominus does is a check for the dollar variable. And if Tempest Dominus tries to load and there's no dollar, it goes, mm, sorry, I'm out of here. I saw it, write the error into my console. Uh, And if it doesn't find moment.js, it gets equally as cranky. So if you're using CDNs, you just put them in the right order and it works. And if you're using pure Node.js, you just import one and then import the other and it just works. If you're doing it in Webpack, you end up with a scoping issue. They can't see each other inside the bloody bundle. So I was importing both and I was getting an error on the console saying, I'm sorry, but there's no moment.js here. I demand a moment.js. And I'm like, but it's there. It's there. Why can't you see it? And it is a scoping issue because of how ES6 packages work. And I I would have panicked until I realized that this is a really common problem. I cannot be the first person to have ever tried to use a bootstrap plugin with Webpack. Therefore, the internet will know. Yep. Yep, the internet knew straight away. In fact, not only did the internet know, the Webpack people know. It is a standard Webpack feature that gives you the answer to this problem. It's a plugin that ships. You don't even have to install the plugin separately. You don't even have to do an npm install webpack-plugin or whatever. It actually is part of core Webpack. And it's a plugin that lets you define a dictionary that says this variable name should be mapped to this npm package everywhere. It basically magics global variables into existence. And I just have to say that dollar is jQuery and moment is moment or moment dash time zone to be precise. So let me understand again why you said they can't see inside the package. 
So when you do an import in e in uh, using ES6 packages, their scope is internal to them. Okay. Which means that when you write a package, you can use any variable name you like because you can't possibly conflict with anyone else. Okay. They want someone else's dollar. But they can't have it because they're in their own scope. Oh, oh, oh. So you have to inject the dollar into their scope. Okay. And by doing that, you make the, or to do that, you do the global variable, but the, in this plugin, you configure something to tell it that? Yes. So basically, the, it's uh, you basically say in the plugins array, you say new webpack dot plugin dot provide plugin, and it's a dictionary, and you just specify I want this name to go to that mod to that um, package from npm. So I want dollar to be mapped to jQuery. I want jQuery to be mapped to jQuery, and I want moment to be mapped to moment. I noticed you got J capital Q E R Y, and then yeah, because that's the variable name that. So jQuery, if you if you take jQuery from the CDN, two variables get made. Lowercase j, capital Q, jQuery is the long name that none of us ever use, but it's always there, but we oh, never okay. use it. And dollar is a shortcut. Dollar is just an alias to jQuery. Right. So in this case, to make everyone happy, I just want, well, jQuery has two names. I'm going to give it two names. So it may no or may not have here. needed it, but just in case? Correct. Okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you wanted this. Okay, here you go. Um, and yeah, so literally you just say new webpack.provide plugin and you just use a dictionary to map every global variable you want. And you'll know what you want because your console will be full of everything that's cranky. And you just say, okay. Did you have to dig through a bunch of other stuff in that, um, webpack.config.js? Was there a lot of other stuff and you found this one section? Well, no. So the webpack.config.js is my file that I wrote. So all I had to do was add this one section. Okay, I thought you said uh, there was a plugin you had to change. No, I had to. Okay, so the bit I added to the file was new webpack.provide plugin. I had okay, to call so that's an the object existing that you plugin. Had to call. Okay. Yeah, I had to. I had to. Yes, exactly. So okay. I am using this plugin that is part of standard webpack. Got I didn't even have to install an optional extra. It's so common a problem that it's actually built right in. Got you, got you, got you. Because okay. I was expecting to have to install something or whatever. But no, it's just like, yeah, of course we have something for that. Do you have any idea how many people want to do this? Like, Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. So at that stage, I had a fully functional version of my code. But I did want to clean up a little bit more. So I did a few refactorings to bring things a little bit more future-proof. So the first thing I did was I took all of my mustache templates, which I still had as embedded script tag, script type equals text slash HTML. And I turned those into um, Webpack uh, resources exactly like we did last time in PBS 139. Because it's just much nicer to have a folder called templates with separate files instead of having it all wedged into your index.html. I think I kept doing it that way because that's how you were initially taught us to do it. Well, we only learned the other way like two weeks ago. So <laughs> how much code have you written since? <laughs> None. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So you haven't even had an opportunity to do it the new way. Uh, I just find it easier to edit stuff when they're in separate files because then you know... I've got them all in separate files. I did do it in separate files. Okay, good. Because it's way easier to maintain that way. So so I broke mine out into separate files and that made me happy. The other thing I did, it's a drop-in replacement. So I love a library called is.js, which is a type-checking library. So you can just say is... You know, is... 
dot string open bracket passive variable and it will be true if it is a string and false if it's not a string you know is number there's all of these like is dot cool stuff right really useful library and it's been completely abandoned right right but it's open source on github so it was forked and there is now a new package based off of the old is js code that's up to date and being patched and being maintained and having its bugs fixed but it's not called is.js because that repository is not under the control of the person who forked it so they forked it and had to give it a new name so it is now is it check so i basically went npm remove is underscore js npm install minus minus save is it dash check is dash it dash check and then I found my import statement. And instead of saying import is from is JS, I said import is from is it check. Okay. So none of my code had to change. Because oh, the right, variable right. is still so called is. Is, is, is dot whatever. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it was a drop-in change. The only difference between the two is that one of them has bug fixes, the other one is missing. And I like bug fixes, so thank you very much. So at that stage, I was almost done. The last thing, I was still feeling a bit cranky of having hard-coded Bootstrap to be an old version. And because Bootstrap got cranky, I got afraid. And so I went and pegged jQuery at an old version too. Just just like, oh, Bootstrap got all angry at me. Let me do the same for jQuery. (laughs) Um, And at that stage, I had everything working. And I was like, okay, let's, let's unpick this a bit. Let's let these things go to the latest version of their current release. Ooh, even Bootstrap. Uh, of their current release. I thought so Bootstrap the 5 Bootstrap is the current 4. released. No, no, okay. So remember in Semver, you have your three version numbers, your right. major, your minor, and your patch. Right. NPM will never upgrade the major version without your explicit okay. permission. I thought you were giving it explicit permission. I thought that's what you just said. You're saying the latest no. version within that main version. Okay. Yes, precisely. Okay. So if you just do an NPM update, it will update to the latest within the same major. So I was going from Bootstrap 4.2.1 to Bootstrap 6. Point something. Mm. Sorry, 4.6. Point something. So the four stayed the same. Got and it. I did the same for jQuery. When in jQuery's case, it was three point something to three point something else. So you closed so your I eyes just and, went, and hit enter? <laughs> well, it was in Git. So I had done a Git commit. So I was mm. really happy to go have a go because I just rolled back one commit if it didn't work. So the command npm outdated will show you what versions are available. And that showed me that I had two updates at my disposal without changing major version numbers. So I just did npm space update and then the two packages that had updates available, jQuery and Bootstrap. And it was almost perfect, but a weird gap appeared below my tabs Hmm. because I'm using an H4 inside the tabs and that's probably not technically supported. And in in Bootstrap... 4.2.1 there was no weird margin but on bootstrap 4.6 point something there was a weird margin so Mm -hmm. i added mb-0 as a class which is margin dash margin bottom zero and the problem went away (laughs) i should probably fix that properly so as not to shove a h4 into the tab because it doesn't seem to like that but for now problem solved i like it now at that stage, I was almost very pleased with myself. Well, I was briefly very pleased with myself. And then I looked at the file size and Is I saw that... was four megabytes? Yeah. The head was four megabytes. I was like, oh God, that's, that, that's not acceptable. Four megabytes is ridiculous. Why is it four megabytes? It's only CSS. Oh yeah, and font awesome. 
inlined. Mm-hmm. So all of those glyphs, inlined. Okay, I shouldn't inline them. So I just replaced inline to, um, what is it, resource. So type colon resource. Type, what is it, type colon. Wait, I've lost you. I've lost you. I don't know what you mean by inline versus whatever you're talking about now. Okay, so last time when we learned how to do these glyph icons, we had a, we added a test into our webpack.config.js that said if the file name ends with WAF, WAF2, EOT, TTF, OTF, or SVG, we mark them as type colon asset slash inline, and that basically turns them into data URLs. I don't know what that means either. Okay, so if you have an image and you want to include it in your, in a, say an image tag, you can say image SRC equals, and you can give it a path. Right. HTTP colon slash slash. Mm-hmm. You can also say SRC equals data colon a bunch of hexadecimal. And you are literally sticking the image into its URL. The URL is the data. We learned about it in PBS like 50 or something. It's ages ago. Okay. So what, if, what if you have a URL that starts data? with data colon, it means the URL is the data. You take the binary data of the image, you convert it to hex, and you put that into the URL. Data colon slash slash the hex of the image. What are, what's the impact of doing that? What does it... It means there is no separate file. Okay. Okay. All right. right. So you okay. actually so if, put if the, the data fonts, in. So if the fonts are the data, then they are there. They're actually part of this file now. Yeah, which is why the file is four megabytes big. Okay. Okay. Because the actual binary data for those font files was hexadecimalized and shoved into the file as data URLs. Because I said type colon asset slash inline, which is the magic incantation for Webpack to go and calculate those hexadecimal strings, build them for you, and shove them into your bundle. Okay. Webpack is great. It does all this automatically. (laughs) And inlining stuff can be really nice to end up with a very clean output folder. But I was kind of letting my fetish for clean output folders affect the efficiency of my app, because this was not actually the right thing to do whatsoever. So I changed it to asset slash resource, which basically means... I will let you take whatever it is you need and make it into separate files in the output folder. And I will leave it to you to do the changing of the code so it all just finds itself, Hmm. right? And the way Webpack does it under the hood is it hashes the file and then renames it with its hash. So if you have duplicates used by, say, if you have five libraries and they all end up using the same image, there'll only be one of them because its name will be hash, whatever, whatever the hash is, .jpg. Okay. And so they will all point to the same file, which is a wonderful way of deduplicating. Just so, use the so hash of the file name. It will be hashed, but it's not hashed in line. Exactly. So the hash becomes the name of the file, and now it is a file sitting in your output folder whose name is gobbledygook.js. Okay. Or sorry, .png or .jpg or whatever it was. Or .wof or .otf or something. And by... So... I did it and it worked. And I looked at my docs folder and it had a bunch of files with horrible names and it made me cranky. <laughs> so I did a bit more reading and I found that if you really want to take charge, you can specify the name you would like the file to have. And it oh. can contain a file path. And the magic incantation is to add an extra entry into the test, 
which is a dictionary with the name generator, which just needs one property, file name, and that property is a template. And in this case, I did some Googling and the Googling told me I absolutely had to use square bracket hash, square bracket ext, square bracket query, because that bit, that bit's kind of the bit that Webpack wants. And I could put whatever decoration I wanted between or around those pieces. <laughs> now, I didn't see any need of putting anything between. So I just put web fonts forward slash in front of it. Okay, and so now you can see everything would say web fonts, but it's got garbage after it. After well, every font web one. Web fonts forward slash. In other words, make me a folder called web fonts. Oh. And then all I see is one folder and I oh. never look in that folder. And so I don't have to see all of the garbage it made. Okay. The end result okay. was that uh, my entry point is now more than a quarter or less than a quarter the size it was before. It's like a 1.1 meg or something instead of 4.6 oh, or something. So, yeah, I probably should never have inlined web fonts, but it did make me happy to have a total bundle. <laughs> so, yeah, that that basically, that is, uh, that is it. And I'm now very happy with it, right? This is going to be way easier to maintain. The grand total of all of the work I have to do to get everything up to date is to go NPM outdated to get a list of all of the options I have for updating stuff. Then I will make a choice and decide what I do or don't want to update. And that will probably be affected by, um, if I do NPM audit, it will tell me where the security vulnerabilities are. And that will certainly encourage Mm. me to Mm -hmm. update certain ones. And then I do an NPM update and whatever I want to update, NPM run build, git push. Wow. Well, get commit first, and then get And, and in the know. past, you would have had to gone to every CDN manually, literally, to see what's changed and go find the URLs. And I, I'm guessing you would pretty find much never do that. Oh, never. Okay. Like, unless there was like a, the world's most catastrophic security vulnerability, the chances of me doing that were about nil. Whereas this way, it's just trivial. NPM does the hard work, and I basically just go NPM run build. And then Webpack has my back. So this has now become infinitely more maintainable. And now I'm ready to go and figure out the right way TM to do the clipboard interaction because I'm fed up of having to do the clipboard stuff manually. Uh, We don't know what you're talking about with the clipboard. So when you generate a link using this-time.me, the whole purpose is to make a link to share. Right. When you push the button, it makes the link and then you have to select all. Oh no, I do the select all automatically with with JavaScript. But you have to right-click paste. Or copy, Jesus. I wanted okay. to do that automatically. Maybe I could show you how mine side. works. Because I don't have mine, you just push it. Yeah. That, and I will certainly be using your code, but also there's a whole bunch of changes happening to those APIs right now today. Okay. Um, there's a whole big, there's a big argument between the um, WebKit people, the Firefox people, and the Google Chrome people about the right way TM to deal with the clipboard. So I'm going to give oh. them another couple of weeks to have their little fight. Okay. And whatever they decide is the answer, because they're all going to get together and actually agree an answer. And when they've agreed an answer, I'm just going to copy and paste that into my code. Okay. Maybe you can but let me know ready. what it is. And if it's not what I have, I can fix my, my time shifter clock. The chances are when they actually get it working, we will dedicate an episode of either real PBS or a tidbit. We will cover it because I think it's darn useful. So it's a lot of different things. It's not just this. Um, well, just good clipboard interaction. Whenever, whenever they've agreed what good clipboard interaction is, I will share because okay. I think it's so useful for a, for a web app to be able to use the clipboard. So, from going through this process, what did you learn? So, 
certainly, it's definitely easier to start from scratch with Webpack than it is to take something that you put, you know, months of work into and then Webpackify it later. So I am definitely going to put Webpack in from day one from now on. Even if all Webpack is doing is managing one dependency, it will grow. This is how code works. (laughs) So from day one, Webpack. The Webpack docs are great. I needed to get my 20%. And yeah, I used Google. And yeah, it sent me to Stack Overflow. But you know where Stack Overflow sent me every single time? The Webpack docs. (laughs) And so after one or two goes, I just started searching in the Webpack docs. They have a search box. And the answer I got in the Webpack docs was perfect. So I short-circuited Google and um, Stack Overflow and just went straight to the Webpack docs. So the docs are good, and that made me very happy. The other thing to note is that when it comes to the more esoteric questions of Webpack can do this in four different ways, and there is disadvantage and disadvantage, and if you're doing this, you might want to do that. Well, there's a community. Webpack is big enough and popular enough that the internet has lots of smart people answering questions on Stack Overflow. There's a whole tag dedicated to Webpack. And there are lots and lots of bloggers writing intelligent stuff about Webpack. So when you come to a sort of a philosophical question of what is the right way, there's enough people out there that you can actually have good content on the internet that will be found by Google, which is great. Yeah, I don't, I don't and think I ever want thing- to use anything that everybody isn't using because <laughs> I really like being able to go, okay, how does this work? What do you do? And there's this big pile of people going, oh, well, I did this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is one of the things I, I check, right? When I'm considering using a library or something like, you know, like what I need is to pick something like to do Moment.js's job. One of my, I basically have two tests. Is there enough of a community that Stack Overflow has answers? And do the docs suck? <laughs> they don't have to be great, but they have to not suck. <laughs> I, I will tolerate okay, but I will not tolerate terrible docs. And if those two things are true, I'll generally say, okay, well, I'll give this a go. And if I then find the code sucks too, then I will not use it. But if the code is fine and the docs are fine and there are enough people talking about it, then I'll use it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my asset test really for anything is like, is there, is there human beings and are the docs okay? And then the last thing I discovered is a cautionary, a caution for people. Webpack 5 is quite new. We don't know this because we learned about Webpack like two weeks ago. So for us, Webpack 5 is all there's ever been. But actually, it's only, I think, about six months old. So a lot of the answers you find are for Webpack 4. They won't work in Webpack 5. Or they might mm-hmm. work in Webpack 5. So it is important when you're on Stack Overflow, you'll often see people say, in Webpack 4, you did this. In Webpack 5, you do that. Right. Make sure you read as far as the in Webpack 5 you do. If you get answers too far back, though, you might not have people even saying that. What I had found is that if you read the comments underneath the answer, someone will have added a comment saying, don't do this anymore, and then okay. linking to something else. I guess if it's a popular question, that would that would happen. If it's a more esoteric question, you might not. One of the things I do in uh, Google search is there's a button that says tools and it pops down some extra menus and you can change it to say when, and you could say, I only want answers from the last year. You can also put in custom dates. So you can put in six months, but I just always put year and then I pay attention. Which is reasonable. Actually, I kind of, 
that's an interesting. I have a slightly different technique that uses a similar functionality. Um, I say must include, and then I would put Bootstrap 5 or whatever. Sure. Yeah. If you're looking for something like that, but a lot of times, you know, I'm looking for how to do something on the iPhone and I really yeah. don't want iOS 4 answers, you know. Right. And maybe yeah, no, that's it was a, great a really tip, popular actually. question. The, the date had never occurred to me. I was used to doing things like, you know, must have and must not have and those kind of extra booleans, but I never thought of the date. That's it's, I have yeah. learned something today. Thank you. Yep. Well, you're good. There you go. Well, this was interesting. Yeah. I, I've got to, I'll be curious to see whether if I'm doing some little teeny itty bitty thing, would I go through this or not? I would be inclined to say... Do it. I think at least do it to practice should. it for sure, right? At the very least, you have to practice it. But I expect you will find that the fact that Webpack allows you to use npm for all of your all of your stuff, and you never have to go hunting for a CDN ever again in the rest of your life, I think that may just be enough. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Okay, yeah. You just got me right there. <laughs> yeah, npm install blah 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 is just so much easier. Yeah, so, I like yeah. it. Yeah, well, this is fun. Okay, and useful. And now you you're a true believer. You don't feel yeah. like a, a pretender, maybe. Like, I wonder if this Well, is I feel like I'm work. two hours ahead of the class instead of 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm also, I'm also very confident that this is a tool I'm just going to use regardless of this series. This is, just, this is now a part of my workflow in real life. This is something I will actually be using, uh, as the English would say, in anger, i.e. in production. Right? This, is, this is now part of my actual workflow with my work hat on, as well as with my stuff I do for fun hat on. As right. well as my program. Now, when we hat. finally get to working on XKPassWD, it will end up being one file, right? Because Correct. it needs to be a library that people can embed in some other tool. That's, yes, so that's that will be the point of it. PBS 137 version of Webpack we care about. Okay. <laughs> uh, not version, use of, right? Because ultimately, the only difference is what you put in your config file, right? Yeah. I want you to build this versus I want you to build that. Yeah. But the core workflow is the same. NPM space install space jQuery. NPM run build. Yeah. You're getting, yeah. So now, that did will you always write a text same. expander snippet for that? NPM run build? No, I probably should. You know, NB or something. Yeah. Well, that might be too short. But yeah, yeah, no, you're right, actually. I really should. Um, I have quite a few terminal commands that have um, text expander snippets. I'm a big fan. Especially, there's two reasons I do it. One is because it's tiresome. One is because I can't remember the order of the words. <laughs> sometimes I get them out of order and it's like, ah, that's not it. And I have to do it again. Now I'll, put it, I'll put it in my words and give it my abbreviation yeah. that I will remember. Oh, I have words that I'm, I can never remember. Like, is menu bar one word or two? I think it's one word, but I always type it as two. But when I type it as two, it makes it one or whichever it actually is. Oh, I, I can never remember what does not doesn't have intercaps. Does Facebook have intercaps or not? Oh, I, just ha- I just have them the all. the first thing in. I do. First thing I do is, yeah. uh, you know, Facebook. Uh, the other one I do is, this isn't all about, uh, well, hey, we're doing automation and programming-based health. The first thing I do when a new OS is installed or is is announced, like Mac OS Ventura, I instantly write a text expander snippet because I know that at least on that very day, I'm going to type it a hundred times. So I only want to type it once. That's a really good idea. Lowercase um, m, I, capital O, capital S, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and PowerShell is another one I have because PowerShell is in Pascal case. Microsoft fell in love with Pascal case, which is like Camel case, only the first one's a capital two. Oh. And my brain doesn't work that way. I'm just too many years of Camel case. I just checked. Menu bar is two words and I always type it as one. (laughs) And then text expander goes bloop and splits them apart. (laughs) 
Isn't it so much fun though? I, I love that noise and I love once a week or once a month. That's once a week I think I get a report telling me how lo- how many snippets I've expanded. Oh. It's usually a lot. It's insane. Yeah, it's like you saved a month and a half in the last week. <laughs> oh, the other one, right? My other absolute favourite, accented characters. When oh, I yeah. say the word cliche, it always has a little accent. I or thought Mac OS did it. Names. That's such an embedded thing for me. Yeah, and then Irish names like Neve for the father and stuff. And people with an accent in their names, they love you so much if you remember that accent. Oh, yeah. People think I am the most thoughtful person. Nope. <laughs> I just made a text expander snippet once. Too and then cool. the fathers, as we would call them in, in Irish, are always there and people adore me for it. I get so many people going, oh, thank you for including my father. Uh, <laughs> no bother. <laughs> <laughs> I saved an hour and 36 minutes. That was from May. I know this is the latest one I found. But yeah, I do like that. Except Steve maybe turned the sound off. He doesn't like to hear it. <gasps> I know. I was sad. No, it has to be there. That's, that's but can you imagine that. sitting, I'm sitting next to him, we're watching TV and you're hearing me go, bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> Yeah, maybe headphones. <laughs> All anyway. Right, well, we've definitely got off the rails here. Yeah, it was a tidbit we're allowed. But yes, let's let's bring this into the station. Um what is it I say? Oh, yeah, it's not the patch. That's some of the time. It's uh, until next time. Happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon. You can donate via PayPal or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.